Welcome to the Econ Dev Show. We explore the strategies, ideas, and insights that are driving economic development forward into the future. future. You'll hear new insights from passionate EDs about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from attraction and retention experts about how to apply actionable strategies inside your EDO. We'll help take your organization, your community, and your career to the next level. Here's your host, Dane Carlson. You're no doubt familiar with ride-sharing services like Uber and Lyft and delivery services like DoorDash, Uber Eats, and Instacart. These services work via an app on a smartphone, allowing users to request a ride or a delivery anytime and in almost any medium-sized city or larger. But it didn't used to be that way. DoorDash and Uber used to be exclusively focused on the big cities and the coasts. There used to be places, decently sized communities like Cape Girardeau, Missouri, that they didn't serve. Cape Girardeau, Missouri, population 40,000, has about 130,000 in its MSA. The city is the economic center of southeast Missouri and also a college town as the home of Southeast Missouri State University. Located approximately 100 miles southeast of St. Louis and 150 miles north of Memphis, they had almost everything a small city could need, except delivery and ride services. Local residents were required to use their phones as phones and call for deliveries from the few restaurants that offered it, and had to use their own cars to travel to stores to buy things. But in 2017, that all changed. Cargo Technologies launched there. Made by local coders, marketed by local biz devs, and funded by local money, the service, ride-sharing, and delivery was a huge hit. So much so that they eventually expanded into other neighboring cities. But then what had seemed so promising suddenly hit a wall. As cargo tried to expand into larger markets to support its business model and growth, it came face-to-face with Uber, DoorDash, and other competitors, companies who were internationally funded and losing billions of dollars a year. And then COVID-19 happened. Ultimately, the cost to continue funding growth and the search for a sustainable business model became insurmountable, and the company ceased operations in early 2021. Now why? You might ask, are we talking about a failed startup in Southeast Missouri on a show about economic development? Well, my guest today made the jump from economic development at a chamber of commerce to the startup Cargo, and then back to economic development for the state of Missouri. Along the way, he learned not only how to be entrepreneurial, but how to talk to entrepreneurs in their own language. He understands what keeps them up at nights and what they care about, but most importantly, what they don't care about at all. Enjoy the conversation. I did. Welcome to the Econ Dev Show. I'm Dane Carlson, and I'm here with Shad Berner. Shad is the Southeast Regional Manager for the State of Missouri Department of Economic Development. He lives in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Shad, welcome to the show. Happy to be here, Dane. Thanks for having me. So you're the Southeast Regional Manager for the State of Missouri. What does a regional manager in economic development for the State of Missouri do on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so uh, the state of Missouri is divided into six regions within the Department of Economic Development, um, and the southeast region has about 25 counties. Um, and my responsibility, with along with our southeast team, which is just one other person than myself right now, um, actively looking for another one, if any of the listeners out there 
are interested and live in Southeast Missouri. We'd love to have you. Um, our, our job primarily is to work with um, businesses that are looking to expand and grow and help facilitate that process. And then of course, to build relationships with the communities, the local economic developers, the chambers of commerce, um, city managers, mayors, whoever it is in those uh, local communities that are really driving uh, the bus, uh, so to say, um, with economic development in, um, in that region. Um, and, and Southeast uh, Missouri, uh, if you don't know, is a very rural area. Uh, Cape Girardeau, where I live, has about 40,000 people. Um, it's at least twice as big as any other city in the 25 counties um, that I work in. Wow. So a lot of rural development. What's business attraction like for you? Yeah, uh, we we have, and, and just for um, some context into, into my world a little bit. So in the state of Missouri, we have uh, really two, uh, two different organizations that work in economic development. There's a, um, my team within the department itself, which is government employees. And then there's also um, the Missouri Partnership, which is a recruit recruitment arm uh, for the state of Missouri. So typically the projects I'm working on are existing businesses that are looking to expand and grow. Um, so, so most of the time um, we are working through the locals, we're working with the businesses, we're working with the CEOs, and, and it's uh, mostly a self-identified process where a business raises their hands and they say, you know, I, we think we have some potential here. Um, here are some things we'd like to do in the future. And then we're able to kind of navigate that with them and, uh, and help them understand what tools might be available, um, whether that's at the local or the state level. Um, and then uh, to help uh, either expedite the process, make the expansion um, occur in some cases, uh, more often than not make the expansion a little better than it would have been um, without our assistance. Um, but, but that's kind of the, the broad brush uh, of what the day-to-day -day looks like working with those businesses. Gotcha. That makes sense. I, I think that sounds much like what uh, probably many of our listeners do on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, you're interesting though. You had a number of different jobs. You didn't come out of college as an economic developer. Um, you know, looking at your LinkedIn, you've done fundraising and you've done marketing, you've done real estate, you've done sales and, and uh, business development or market development. And in the last five years, you worked for a chamber and a startup, and now you work for the state. Um, <laughs> you, you absolutely have, must have an interesting perspective on all of this. What have you sort of brought over from the private sector to working in economic development? How does business development in the private sector compared to economic development? And do you have any sort of tips or techniques that you've brought over? Yeah, that, that I think I'm still struggling to figure out what I want to do when I grow up and, and being almost 40, that's, that's probably a bad sign, but um, seem to be heading down a good, good path now. But I, I have bounced around a, a little bit throughout my career, all with good opportunities. And, and I can say that um, I think the, the varied uh, experiences I have um, have been absolutely critical in any success I've had as an economic developer. Um, I don't know that, I, <laughs> that I've had a, a, a ton of success, hopefully, um, but uh, certainly if there is any, it came from the varied experiences. Uh, specifically, you know, I got into economic development um, didn't know about it, didn't even know it existed, didn't know it was a phrase, um, 
that people uttered in this, uh, in this language uh, until I joined the Chamber of Commerce, which would have been about five years ago, um, and really fell in love with it. I mean, I, I fell in love with the industry. I fell in love with the um, nature of the work, which is so different day to day, um, and uh, kind of saw myself staying at the Chamber um, and building a career of it there. Um, and was, uh, I guess that would have been 2017, 2018. I was, I was pretty heavily recruited um, by a few different organizations. And the one that, the one that was most striking to me was, was Cargo, which was a, a rideshare and food delivery startup based out of Cape Girardeau. That had yeah. Let's, let's stop. Let's talk about. Let's talk about that because okay. uh, a startup out of Cape Girardeau—that's uh, not something that you know you, you read about on TechCrunch every day. So tell me about Cargo. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So so Cargo was a a group of local investors that basically got frustrated with the fact that the Ubers of the world um, were not in our market and, and felt like that our market was large enough to sustain. Um, a ride share um, and a food delivery service. So, so they jumped in and started building this thing, and it uh, and it took off. Um, and the the ride share was okay in Cape Girardeau. Um, we have our daytime population is around a hundred thousand. The food delivery was phenomenal. I mean, just they're doing three hundred food deliveries a day in Cape Girardeau. We have we have a, a state university here with more than ten thousand students um, that drove fifteen twenty percent of that. Um, but then the rest of the community, I mean, it kind of became this cultural thing within Cape Girardeau. And um, when they approached me and recruited me to join, and I started to see the numbers on the back end and what that looked like, um, that was, I, I was really intrigued by it and really impressed and really wanted to um, take the opportunity to be a part of that. Because um, not only for the opportunity to join cargo itself, but to be part of that startup culture. And there's a whole history of that within Cape Girardeau that they're trying to build here. Uh, and the startup, we, we have a, a great co-working space that occupies four stories in a, in a, a pretty large facility in downtown Cape um, with some, some entrepreneurial guys who've put that together on the private side. So, so for me, it was, it was kind of an experiment uh, of sorts to join this thing that I hadn't done and I was always attracted to startups and I felt like this was you know had the potential to be the major leaps right we were going to expand and scale this thing well beyond Cape Girardeau and I, I could be in pretty early as an employee and investor um, in that uh, in that business but the other piece of that is I felt like if I'm going to spend my career in economic development there's nothing bad that can come of joining this startup and getting in it and really seeing what it's like and getting my MBA in real time working for a startup. And so, so I spent about a, only about a year. I mean, I, I, the first six months were fantastic. And then I realized, look, the startup world's just not for me. And so I, I was quickly uh, starting to look around and figure out how to get back into economic development. But everything I've done since um, since the startup and some of the other pieces of my career has been informed by this. I mean, I, when I go out and talk to businesses and they're talking about, uh, they're talking about expanding, they're talking about um, going into new markets, they're talking about these things. I've lived these things. I did them not for a long time. I'm no expert by any means, but I certainly um, have an understanding of what it takes uh, to just drop into a new market and build it because I, 
I did that um, three times um, with cargo, three different new markets over the course of my year um, there. I did um, all the training. I did a, a ton of stuff in that scenario. So, so it, it, it colors my perspective. And, and to me, um, uh, I think it's really helpful just uh, being able to speak a common language and res uh, and just understand what what may be going on with these folks as they're trying to build these businesses and and how stressful that can truly be sure absolutely i i think that you know this hands-on experience is something that we don't have i was a couple of months ago i was in in a class about economic or a, an economic development class about entrepreneurship and it was really surprising to me the number of students who literally had no idea and just sort of froze up when the assignments were you know create a business and who's your who's your market what's your what's your product or service what are you doing how are you going to fund it um how are you going to expand what's your go to market strategy all these kinds of questions that are just sort of like absolutely normal parts of uh, the startup culture that they don't translate over to economic development and Truthfully, many economic developers seem like they're doing economic development because they can't be entrepreneurs. They they don't they that I mean you you talk about that you wanted to get out of the startup culture and I'm, that's obviously not a bad thing, but you know there is a huge disconnect between them and and we have to work together and we have to support them and we have to be able to understand each other's language and I, I think that it sounds like you have a good grasp of that. Yeah. At, at, Absolutely. And to me, I think the thing that we fail at as economic developers is uh, truly understanding the demands on an entrepreneur's time and the things they're good at. And we got to if we want that business to grow in our communities, we cannot tie them down with bureaucratic nonsense. It's just not what they're good at or they would be doing something different. (laughs) You have to be uh, a little bit. Of, of a little bit different mindset to be the person who goes out and disagrees with, with everyone who's telling them, no, you can't do this and say, you know what, I'm going to do it anyway. And uh, you know, against all odds, they're going to make it happen. And those who've done that, they're not um, typically the ones who, who can spend hours and hours on my paperwork that the state's wanting me to have done. So, so just being able to, to help, uh, in a different way with that mindset, I think it's critical. And we have to understand that as economic developers. That's right. Un- understanding and, and speaking that language and understanding what they're good at and sort of understanding what they're concerned about. You know, the yeah. things that keep them up at night are not the same things that keep us up at night. And, and we need to be cognizant and care about that. So let's jump ahead to the end of the story of cargo, because obviously you left. Um, what ended up happening? Because cargo is not around anymore, right? It's, right. It's, it didn't make it. So what what happened with cargo? Yeah, that that's a great that, that's a great story. Uh, so um, I started to see when I was there that uh, this was a real uphill climb. What we were trying to do at in the since the start founding of cargo until the time I left, the Ubers of the world did start coming in to, to mid sized markets and. Um, frankly, they have uh, endless uh, amounts of money because they, you know, they don't have to uh, be revenue positive. <laughs> they they are operating uh, at deficits with uh, tons of of capital being injected in by investors every year. Um, it's really hard to compete when you're talking about 
smaller local investors um, that have that need to turn a profit within a within a few years. Um, so so the competition was hard. Um, we found that not all markets were as accepting as Cape. It was a little bit harder to go into some of these other markets. Um, if you get much smaller than Cape Girardeau, um, there the clientele to sustain is is not what it once was. Um, paint the margins are razor thin uh, with the distributed um, driver network and trying to pay drivers. And then uh, the frankly, if if I'm a driver for cargo and Uber comes in and they'll pay me the same and I can do tasks for both, I'm going to be a driver for Uber, Uber, I'm going to be a driver for cargo, I'm going to be a driver for DoorDash, Grubhub, whatever, I don't care. I'll stick them all on my windshield and do them all. And so it, it was, there were a lot of difficult things about the business that we learned along the way. I left before it really started to uh, be apparent that there probably wasn't a path um, to scale like they once thought. So I, I don't, I don't have, um, I have some insight as an investor, I was getting updates, but I wasn't in the day-to-day -day operations um, as we tried to scale into Springfield, Missouri, which is a much larger market. Um, and really it was kind of a, a make or break market for us with the amount of money that went into Springfield and it never took off. Um, and frankly, uh, the pandemic played a role in that. While it was good for aspects of the business, um, we're also a college driven business and the students weren't there at Missouri State, you know, so there were there were um, things that made it challenging at the same time. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, it brings up all kinds of issues. Um, you know, the influx of outside cash, especially when it's virtually unlimited into a community can have either very positive or very negative impacts on the, the businesses that are there, the local businesses that have grown up. But I think there's probably something that really maybe has come out of this that, that might be good. What is the you, you mentioned the makerspace, but what's the entrepreneurial ecosystem like in Cape Girardeau now after there was this moderately or, you know, highly successful um, entrepreneurial startup there in the city and, and then it shut down. But I'm assuming that many of those employees, you know, are the people that work at an early stage startup. They, they want to work at an early stage startup. They want to start something. You know, what's, what's that, what impact has that had locally? Yeah, it, it was a, a huge impact. And frankly, when they started Cargo, part of it was they felt like there was an opportunity. But the other part and the very real part was we the uh, folks behind it felt like they needed to have something to show Cape Girardeau what it looks like when you have a what does that actually look like to have a startup? And so th there's a lot of things happening in that startup ecosystem in that entrepreneurial ecosystem in Cape Girardeau that um, have been slow building over time. And I think cargo did help accelerate some of that. Um, it, uh, it helped kind of highlight um, the art of the possible um, for folks here who, who really hadn't been plugged into that ecosystem. It also helped understand um, folks, folks who do what I do and the folks who are trying to build the system um, some of the challenges and some of the other ways to go about it and some of the, some of the limitations within um, Cape Girardeau and, and building a system here and, and uh, narrowing the focus a little bit. I think um, we, we still have what I think is a fairly thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem for a community our size. Um, and I, I feel like it will only continue to grow The the group that started it um, 
that is kind of owning that ecosystem is called Codify. And for several years now, they've had a $50,000 startup competition in Cape Girardeau. Then they have attracted multiple businesses to the community here um, that have set up some roots. Um, some of those take the prize money and stay for a year and move on. Some of those have really set up roots and I think they'll build their business here. And they have some, some real significant success stories coming out of that group. So, so we're starting to see more and more of those startups come in, um, continued relationships with the university uh, to get uh, folks. I mean, one of the things when I was at the chamber here that we always said, we, we have 10, 11,000 students at, at Southeast Missouri State University, at least, uh, 50% of those are coming from St. Louis. Um, they spend their time here. And then I think about 80% of graduates are not staying in Cape Girardeau. So they're, they're getting the heck out of here. And we have to, it, we, it's incumbent upon us to at least showcase what is possible in Cape Girardeau, what the opportunities are, what could happen here before those folks leave. Um, so that has been a huge uh, piece of this, uh, because that startup, that entrepreneurial ecosystem is really attractive to young folks. So when they can see what's happening, um, it helps us retain talent um, in our area more than we were able to do before. Yeah, I'd imagine that, um, you know, communities, especially mostly rural communities across the country that don't have the opportunity to have sort of an entrepreneurial ecosystem develop on its own because of a startup would be envious, would, would look at this and say, you had such an experience, such a great uh, benefit. It shows that something was possible and it was able to be started right there in the Cape. I think it's a, it's a remarkable story. And also I think it illustrates that um, you can start a startup anywhere. It doesn't have to be on the coasts. It doesn't have to be in Silicon Valley. Um, you know, it can, it can start up anywhere. And if you had, if COVID hadn't happened, if, uh, Uber had been slower and the, and DoorDash and whatnot had been slower to expand into those smaller markets. I mean, who knows what would have happened? Who knows if you would have got a foothold in Springfield and then, you know, even St. Louis and, and what would have happened after that. But there in, in Cape Girardeau, you have those entrepreneurs who've had that experience and this won't be the last um, try. This won't be the last success that Cape Girardeau has. You'll, you'll, you'll get benefits from this, you know, for years to come. So now that we've talked about that, let's talk a little bit um, about your certified economic developer um, certification. You earned that earlier this year. Is that right? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. correct. So how long of a process was that for you? And how did, you know, how did, how'd you do it? Yeah. The, uh, so I started on my certified economic developer uh, classes when I was at the Cape Chamber. I took most, I, I had taken four of the required six classes before I left the chamber and had three and a half years in economic development. So I was getting close to that point. I think, I think it's four years before you can actually take the exam. Um, and then left for the startup. And when I joined back with the state of Missouri, uh, immediately um, knew that I wanted to get back in it, um, wanted to achieve the certification uh, to show that I um, was working toward uh, being a better economic developer. So I uh, took the last two classes, hit my four-year mark in the industry, and signed up for the exam um, in the spring this year uh, start with plans to start really studying for the exam in January. 
that was kind of my three month runway to study for it. And in late December, the director of our department um, tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, I want you to help with the state's vaccine rollout. And so I was, uh, I couldn't say anything but yes, <laughs> because uh, he, was, he was asking so nicely and, and had all the cards. Um, so I said, absolutely, let's, let's do this. So um, for the months of January, February and March, I spent a significant amount of time uh, helping lead the state of Missouri's vaccine um, rollout strategy. We were identifying uh, the next phase, when the next phases would open, um, who would be eligible in which phases, things like that. It was, um, that was way outside of my uh, area of expertise, um, but we were just there to provide support to the Department of Health and get it going. So anyway, I, I provide that for color because the the uh, plan for studying from January, February, and March was was greatly impacted um, by this situation. So I I talked to my boss, who's a certified economic developer, and I said, "Look, I I'm going to fail this thing, um, but it's it's remote, uh, and so we're not spending a ton for me to do it. I think it'll be great experience." to kind of see what the test looks like, and then I'll take it again in the fall, um, and then I'll ace it, all right? So, so he was in agreement. Um, I went into the test with that as my thinking, and uh, somehow, I think, honestly, it's the experiences I've had that were pretty varied that, that led me um, to be able to probably just squeak by. But I was able to pass uh, and, and put that part behind me, but I, I'm, I'm very thankful. It's it's been a it's been an incredible uh, thing to have have the letters, have it done. Something that I've been working for for a long time, um, and and I'm ex I'm excited about having. It. And it's led. I'm, I wouldn't be doing this with you today if if I didn't have uh, the certified economic developer um, uh, designation. So so yeah, it was a it was a weird weird ending to a long process, but it 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 all all came together. That's 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 fantastic. It it brings up something I think that that I've heard in classes and as people talk about it. They say that the test is incredibly difficult. They say the pass rate is incredibly low. They say that people go in that have been economic developers their entire career and they're, you know, in their 50s. They go in and they they fail because they haven't studied the book, they haven't studied uh the course. And instead, they're relying entirely on their experience. But you, having come in from all these wide and varied experiences and all kinds of different industries, sort of squeaked by and passed. That's, you know, that's that's a good sign, I think, uh, it, to some degree for, for many of us. I haven't taken it yet. And I, you know, I'm, I have that same sort of background in that I've worked all over and all kinds of different things. And so it, it, it makes you feel good to know that that's possible. So I, I, yeah, I applaud you. <laughs> well, thank you. It's, it's you know, a, a lot of people hate me, but um, for not uh, studying quite as much as, as they did. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that the test was pretty good um, from from the standpoint that it when you're in that workforce space, I mean, it, it really dove, dove into some of that stuff. And, and my uh, I took one of my uh, extra uh I guess it's my electives. One of my electives was in the entrepreneurship one. So um, having spent a year doing it, I was able to uh, answer those questions a lot better than had I just um, not 
spent the year at cargo or, um, you know, I had five years in higher ed prior to that. And so there's just some varied experiences that, that really helped, I think. That's good. I, I, uh, speaking of higher ed, you, you were, I'm guessing that that was, that was basically fundraising. Is that, is that what you did? Yeah, in part. So I was the director of alumni services. So it was fundraising and also events and, um, relationship building throughout the lifetime of an alum, essentially. It, if you drew a line through my whole career, it's relationship building is really what I've, what I've done since day one in every aspect, every job I've been in. Which is ultimately what economic development is all about. So, I mean, yeah. it's like you've been planning this. I mean, you know, you were in <laughs> doing that and doing real estate. I mean, it's everything sort of goes together. So it's pretty interesting how this has all worked out for you. So you've worked for uh, a chamber and the state doing economic development. What's different about those two experiences? Yeah, that's, that's I, I think, really hits the heart of, of, of what we do in this um, industry. So at the chamber, it was very local level. I was talking to businesses who um, it might be a one individual who's trying to thinking about buying a 2,000 square foot building in downtown, and they want to start um, this small business that will have one or two folks. Uh, and, and I spent a lot of days um, talking with people like that, driving them around town, talking about um, oh, here's how you go to city hall and, and get the license, you know, very tactical everyday stuff to keep the community moving forward. We we're also talking to community leaders every day. We were, um, doing, um, you know, that shaking hands and, and kissing babies, all that stuff at the local level and, and, um, somewhat out in front sometimes, you know, on the news and doing things at the state, it's a whole different world. I just closed a project yesterday we did a groundbreaking and this is a year and a half in the making it's a 50 million dollar project it's 50 jobs in a small community um my role was very much behind the scenes but the the locals were asking me for expertise on things that aren't even our programs but i had some you know i worked with some other community on this and i was able to come in and say well you know this is the way in missouri we have the enhanced enterprise zone, which is going to give you the property tax abatement. And the, this is this is the way another community's done it. Here's the paperwork. Now, it's up to them to implement. That's a local tool, but I was providing the the um, context and the support on the back end. So a lot of times that's, we're doing way fewer numbers of projects. They're much bigger. Um, and our involvement is only so deep uh, because we our tools are limited at the state level, but locals have a lot more options open to them to support that business um, in, in different ways, I, I think is kind of, is kind of the way I would, I would say it. Maybe that was, maybe it's inaccurate to say they have more options, but they're, they have uh, more flexibility and creativity in how they can support, I think, um, than we probably can. I think that's correct. I work for a county in Texas and we have less options available to us than economic developers at the city level or at a quasi-public private EDC. And they have less options available to them than at a chamber of commerce. And so I yep. think as you sort of proceed closer to the individual businesses, you probably have more you know, wiggle room, more leniency, you have more options. Maybe we're having a greater impact the higher up the chain you go. But it's not like we're necessarily more powerful or uh, have more yeah. sort of influence. It's that, that small on the ground day-to-day -day stuff that 
seems like it can have a real impact. And, you know, we really saw that during COVID. You talk about how you helped with the vaccine rollout effort. I was practically the point person for all the businesses in the county that were struggling economically. My phone number was the one that they called. I talked to them, you know, individually on a day-to-day basis. Other than the vaccine rollout, what else changed for you during COVID? Yeah, that's, uh, I was traveling substantially um, prior to COVID. So 25 counties um, out three, two, three, four days a week, typically um, Mm. in their, in their offices, in businesses, talking to folks and all that ground to a halt initially. And we had to kind of switch to this model of using the phone, using email to address this stuff. And then of course, very rapid um, response rates. You know, this business has this going on. Is there a tool out there? It, will some of the CARES Act funds support this? And how can we do that? We, I spent time um, working with all the communities. We had counties that uh, rolled, rolled out small business grants with their CARES Act money and other counties that were scared to do it. And so we spent a lot of time trying to educate and uh, alleviate concern. <laughs> you know, you've got the, the um, lawyer of record on, on the county saying, hey, don't do this. The government's going to come take the money back. And I'm going, look, guys, I, I understand. I get it. I find it very unlikely that the government's going to start stripping money back from a, from a restaurant when they got a $5,000 loan to just keep the doors open during COVID. I, like, that's just hard for me to imagine. That doesn't look good for anyone. <laughs> you know, so I, I'm trying to, trying to facilitate some of that movement of those dollars and get it out and make sure. I and mean, we had counties who, were, who gave money back because they didn't spend it, you know? So, so little things like that, that we, I would, prior to COVID, I was never talking to county commissioners about what they're doing with their money, right? That, that's a new thing for us in the state world, but there was just so much confusion and lack of understanding. And it's not on the county's part. It was all the way from the top to the bottom. Nobody knew this was novel and nobody knew what it looked like. And when the uh, the guidance from the feds came out. It was, it had all these holes in it because they didn't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't, wouldn't say it was anybody's fault. Hopefully we're much better next time from what we've learned is, is um, where I hope we land on it. But yeah, so, so it, it changed our world quite a bit in that sense. And we're just starting to get back in it. The other thing that was interesting for me is um, since I'm in such a rural area, you know, I mean, for a month or two, there was a lot of concern about COVID. And then after that, you know, my, a lot of my folks were back. I got chambers having in-person events. I'm, you know, so I had to navigate that a little bit with the state on um, our policies of travel and really what, it, what the reality was on the ground where I'm working. And so, you know, um, we don't have to go into details, but I didn't always get clearance on the things that I did. I tried sure. to be as safe as possible and just support my communities in the way they needed <laughs> Well, that's, you know, that's what we do as economic developers. We're, we, we, we support them any way we can. Sometimes we have to bend the rules a little bit. So, um, I, I appreciate all that you do and I appreciate you, um, taking the time to talk to me today. I think that you've expressed and exposed a whole number of new perspectives that I think other economic developers across the country haven't been exposed to and, and, can learn from. If anybody wants to get into contact with you, if they want to reach out and say, hey, 
or um, maybe pick your brain a little bit. What's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I'm I'm available in in many ways. My name's somewhat unique. There is a so shad is a fish. So so, there, so there's a lure that's a shad burner. So you might find that in Google, but you can find me if you just add Missouri to it. Um, I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn. LinkedIn is probably um, my uh, most common social network. I also have email address I, I can send to you. You can put it up if, if somebody wants to reach out that way. But um, any of those ways, happy to happy to engage with anyone if, if there's something that um, they want to talk about. Fantastic. Well, Shad, it's been a great pleasure having you on today. And uh, good luck there, Missouri. All right. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. And that's it. Thanks for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the conversation. See you soon. You've been listening to the Econ Dev Show with Dane Carlson. If you're an economic developer who never stops learning, for more expert strategies, fresh insights, and new ideas to take your career, organization, and your community to the next level, visit us on the web at econdevshow.com. 